Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways of bringing these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and Space to Meditate and an MBSR teacher and trainer. Well, hello, John. Good to see you again. Greetings, Doug. Good to spend time with you again on another one of these wonderful podcasts. Always fun. Never know what we're getting into when we open, you know, a topic. That's so the fun of it. it. Yeah, it's always a can of worms, I suppose. And and uh, the topic we were going to kind of touch on today is the idea of embodiment and embodied practice. Some people get very confused by it, I think, and, mm-hmm. and I know I did for many years, or just not knowing what it really meant, I think, is... is 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 how it how it comes and right interestingly as we age of course our body becomes more apparent to us that's one thing and and the of course the first foundation of mindfulness is is the foundation of the body foundation right. mm-hmm. and and the first practice and the first foundation of mindfulness of course is mindfulness of breathing so for starters the notion of embodied practice is not about thinking about the breath, but it's actually directly experiencing the breath. Mm -hmm. And so even in the teaching and the mindfulness of breathing, you know, it's like, well, so what is it? What's the experience of a long breath? What's the experience of a short breath? What's the experience of a deep breath? What's the experience of a shallow breath? What's the experience of the in-breath versus the experience of the out-breath? So there's that level of embodiment, just knowing on a direct experience level, the feeling of those sensations. Right. And then, you know, there's the embodiment of standing and sitting and walking and lying down. So there's the, again, the direct experience of that. You know, if we look at the actual teaching, right, and the the refrain about the internal experience and the external experience, you know, these are all aspects of embodiment. So there's a refrain in this, in the, we're talking about the sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness, right, and there's right. this kind of repeating refrain that goes throughout the sutta where uh, the Buddha tells us to, to pay attention to various things all the time while we're doing right. each, of, each of these many, many, many different practices. Yeah. And one of them is to be aware of them internally, to be aware of them externally, and to be aware of them both internally and externally. And there's a lot of uh, different ex- interpretations of what that last one might mean, or indeed, right. what all three of them might mean, because they're yeah. kind of, they're not yeah, explained. Exactly. But um, but part of the practice, I think, is sort of coming up with a good explain <laughs> a good interpretation of those and sort of working with them. Yeah, and I think that you know because the other one of the other big parts of that first part of that teaching and mindfulness of the body is is the 32 parts of the body, right? Mm. And it's not and in in, in the original teaching it literally goes through various organs and various fluids and mm-hmm. and it's not like i'm sitting here aware of my liver <laughs> right well, i hope not <laughs> yeah yeah uh you know there's certain things we only pay attention to when there's something wrong right you know and yet there are other parts of the body that we are well aware of mm-hmm. and if we're lying down you know we are aware of the internal sensations that are maybe gurgling up in the body or we may be aware of pulses or um, we may be aware of uh, the heartbeat we may be aware of 
the expansion and contraction of the lungs, of course, aware of fluids in the body, maybe not the blood flowing through, but certainly saliva and things like that. And so those are internal sensations. And then there's the, the external sensations, which could be, that could be interpreted in any number of ways. One is like the view of another body, mm-hmm. right? So there's an external experience of that body, which then gets interpreted in the mind as something internal, but that's another discussion, somewhat related to the discussion we even had on perception, right? You see a body and you have a response. Mm-hmm. Or, and I should say, there's the internal and external, which I have an interesting experience I, I've I've kind of played with that a lot, that where the, that last phrase in the refrain, the internal external. In a sense, it's where the two meet. So like the sensation of the air on my skin is both an internal and an external experience. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's the temperature of the air and there's the response in the body when it, it feels the air. So there's that level of internal, external. And then when you kind of move your hand, you know, you can feel it even more. So there's this embodiment of that. So there's a full, and, and the, the challenge of most of us, certainly me, <laughs> right, is the difference between thinking about the process and actually fully experiencing the process. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, letting the thinking mind go and simply being in the embodied experience of the practice, of the movement. It's kind of interesting because, isn't it? Because uh, many of these early practices that are, for instance, around the mindfulness of the body, do involve a lot of conceptual thinking rather than immediately experiencing. As you mentioned with the 32 parts of the body, which really in the early texts is supposed to be a practice uh, of getting away from our attachment to the body to the right. thinking that the body's beautiful and so as a as an antidote to that for the youthful monastics who might have been interested in in the bodies of other people they're supposed to be uh, or their own body for that matter um, they're mm-hmm. supposed to be focusing on the, the the internal organs which are not so beautiful on their own but that that's that is the body right. and but you can't as you say you can't actually experience them the them directly, at least in most cases. So you have to do this sort of conceptually. And one of the interpretations I think that I remember hearing, and I wish I had the paper in front of me, but I don't remember. I think it was either Analio or Sujato, one of these um, um, monastic uh, uh, scholars, was saying that th- one of their interpretations, and I don't remember how they reasoned through this, but any event of this internal and external, where we do them both together, was that that was related to the charnel ground uh, contemplations, the contemplations uh, of, of dead bodies in the charnel mm-hmm. ground, where we're, we're sort of uh, seeing that we are that way. Yeah. This, this kind of melding of, um, of the way I am is the way those bodies are, or the way I am or will be is the way those bodies are. Because we're, you know, again, we're conceptual, we're not being mm-hmm. able to feel this, we can't feel the body. I mean, we can go out there and touch it, I guess, but that's not the point. But rather, we're supposed to sort of internalize what we're, what we're seeing uh, outside of us as the way we really are in some sense. So it's kind of interesting how this embodied practice, or at least the first foundation mindfulness, yeah. is, 
sure, it does involve direct seeing of the way the body is right now, but also involves this kind of uh, conceptual re-understanding, re-interpretation, re-perception. Yeah, and I, th- I think that, I mean, also the the imaginal mind, mm. the mind that sort of can imagine this body, or, you know, when I'm guiding people, say, in a body scan, I'll, I'll often say, if you can't, if you don't feel something in your big toe, uh, visualize your big toe, you know, and as you visualize your big toe, notice if there's a sensation related to that. So sometimes the conceptual is is actually required in order to have the embodied experience. Ah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And and you know, we can try. It. You can try it yourself. I mean, mm. you know, just you know, because somebody will say something like, "Well, I don't feel this part of my body." So you've given them an instruction to feel the feel the what's going on in your feet right now and the person will say you know or you yeah i mean yeah. we've all we've all been there i yeah. don't feel anything in my feet right, right. now right <laughs> and yet there's something interesting about that in itself right because it's like well how do you know yeah. how do you know you're not you know so, sort of <laughs> like there is something i mean if you're not you're feeling something if you're the, the feeling the the idea of not feeling means that there's something being experienced it's an experience of not any massive sensation that's calling your attention, mm-hmm. but there's a knowing of that. Oh, that's true. You know, mm-hmm. So it's, it's um, yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting practice, <clears throat> excuse me, to see. Now, the other aspect of embodied practice is <clears throat> just living our lives, of course, right? And so if we've really taken two certain aspects of Dharma teaching, and we kind of intellectually know them. But as we live our lives, you know, moment to moment, we're not actually practicing. We're not actually being mindful. We're not actually aware of, you know, the moment to moment experience. Then there's a separation from the intellectual understanding and the embodied understanding, mm-hmm. the embodied experience. Yeah. And so knowing that difference and actually recognizing that difference is key to embodiment as well. The moment that I realize I'm just thinking about something as opposed to actually being that something or being that way, that's a moment of mindfulness. It's also a moment that immediately brings me back into this direct experience, this embodied experience of what have you. The embodied experience of suffering. Yeah, sure. No, it's an interesting yeah. way of, of framing the the issue because, I mean, certainly in a, from a, an early Buddhist context, they would, I mean, they would definitely understand what you're talking about. There's a difference between intellectually understanding the teachings and having trained so much that the you're beyond training, let's say. But they wouldn't frame it in terms of embodied because they wouldn't think of it as something in the body. They would think of right. it as just something that well, it was in the. It would be in the five aggregates of which the body is one, but it would also it would be in the volitions. It would be in the perception. Right. Right. Um, right. It wouldn't be in the body exclusively, and yet the at least the language around embodied. You know, this kind of embodiment is is sounds like we're talking only about the the body, which you know is a, is a modern, more modern, contemporary way of of framing it. I think. When we think that you know what goes on in the mind goes on in the brain or something like that, uh, right? Yes, there's certainly truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that <clears throat> those of us that have had the the blessing, say, to be with 
a teacher who is fully embodied mm. in their practice. When that teacher walks into a space, you can tell. Yeah, because it's reflected in their body, you're, you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all that you have access to in the teacher is through their body. And so, right. when you're right. seeing their body, you're sort of seeing an expression of, of yeah. their practice. Yeah. Mm. And, and there's a resonance with that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something that happens in that. And the other, the other interesting, so, so there's a, I think it's the second part of the first foundation, the second part of mindfulness of the body is, and it's, it's, it's knowing the postures, but it's also aware of act of actions of the body. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, so you know, when you're reaching for a glass, <laughs> As I just did, right? There's there's a, a knowing of that. There's the, the sensing and and direct feeling of that, direct experience of that. And one of the things that I find so fascinating around that is this whole notion of proprioception, you know, which isn't talked about in the teachings, but this notion of how this body knows where it is within space. Yeah, I don't know that it's. I mean, it's not talked about directly in the teachings, but I, I think there are indications that some of the things that are talked about in the teachings may be talking about proprioception, mm. and they just didn't have the word for it. Yeah. Um, different, What's the example you come? The I, mean, I don't remember off the top of my head, but there are various examples of talking about um, perception of the body as a body or something like that. Where ah uh, yeah yeah where it's like what is he talking about? And, and I think maybe it's proprioception because. Yeah, that's a very sort of, uh, you know, technical term and obviously didn't exist back then. There's right, no, There's right. no poly term for proprioception. Yeah. But I don't but it's know. it's a fascinating thing. Mm. It's like when the body knows that it's getting close to another body, what is that feeling? Mm -hmm. Or another thing? Mm -hmm. You know, there's something that, and, you know, uh, in somatic training, some teachers speak of subtle body which in a sense surrounds the physical body. Mm. And it's like this, this, and you can even experiment yourself, you know, like when you, when you bring your one hand closer to the other hand, you know, there's a, there's something between that's felt between the hands. Sort of a there's warmth a, or something you mean? Yeah. Or just a, vib a vibration in a sense. Mm -hmm. So in a, and, and it doesn't have to be your hands. It could be other part of the body. So there's, and, and we can see that in, you know, in animal behavior too, of course, if you get too close to an animal, they know you're too close and they mm -hmm. move, you know, so there's something, there is something uh, to that. And just as we start to kind of experience our body in this more direct way, just talking about the physical body in, in, a, in an actual known way. So, so where the, the, the concept of this body gets away it falls away and there is just the experiencing of this body. There's a subtle shift in our experience as we, as we do that. And, and then, you know, as we are practicing through the day and as we are moving through the day, there's really a moment to moment awareness of, of this aggregate of the body as it moves through space. And I was reading a, a poem the other day that spoke of like, and sometimes if you do walking meditation, this is kind of an image that's worth kind of experiencing is or, or thinking about and bringing into your practice is like, as you are moving forward in space, space is being made for this body to move into. <laughs> and then as you step forward again, that space is being filled in. And there's kind of like, cause something has to move in order for this body to move forward, you know, 
as this body moves forward. Of course, all the molecules are shifting around and making space for me. And that's a fascinating image. Mm. And it's fascinating as you walk slowly to kind of take that in and just recognize really what's going on. So this is just another way of, of playing with this notion of embodiment. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you, do you think that there's some particular uh, advantage to this kind of embodied framing, the framing of things in terms of embodiment, uh, as you know, as you're talking about this kind of embodied practice. I mean, when I think of the first foundation of mindfulness, a couple things that come to mind to me are first of all. Focusing on the breath helps us to relax, helps us to calm down, helps us to focus uh, in a way that other kinds, like the foundation of mindfulness on mind is less able to do that, you know, I think, at least for me. I mean, because right. the, the breath is regular, is we, it, we can, we can uh, train ourselves to slow it down, which helps the mind to calm down. And it's a sort of an easy way to get towards impermanence and so on, uh, the aspects of insight and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I don't know what are your what are your th- do your th- are your thoughts that this that this particular f- uh, angle on how we approach practice through the body is particularly useful in some regard or better than others right. or I mean for us anyway. I, I see it as kind of two sides, right? So there's the literal practices on the body. In the body, uh, how the how this body moves, the elements of the body, right? And of course, a lot of this has to do with, and and the thirty two parts have to do with you know our attachment to this body, our clinging to this body, and sort of seeing through that. So those are very direct teachings. The mindfulness of the breath, as you say, for many people, it calms the mind, it creates a place of focus. And then there's the embodiment of there's the embodiment of the teachings, right? So that's more like how we live, and and really, you know, not intellectualizing the teachings, but experiencing the teachings in a direct way. And so that's not just body, but but actions and everything related to our our moment to moment life. The unfolding of our life and, and 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 these two are sort of in my experience operating simultaneously because when something interferes with like what I'm about to do or wanting to do, it's immediately felt in the body and the body responds and hopefully there's enough mindfulness to recognize well what's really true in this moment and then responds accordingly. The other aspect, of course, is that the the we, we always talk about, you know, present moment awareness. The one thing that is always in the present moment is this body, you know, and this breath. This is always here, always in the present moment. So it's it, it just is the anchor of practice, you know, to kind of recognize that. So this is there's a rich relationship going on here between the direct experience in the body, uh, the direct experience around the body, and how we move through the day. And I think it might be particularly then useful for, I mean, I, at least my impression of this kind of uh, focus on, this kind of framing of practice is that it might be 
particularly useful for lay people who were sort of out in the world doing things in a, in a more active sense than, let's say, a monastic might be or somebody yeah, else. Yeah, for sure. Another way of looking at it, right, is that we find ourselves on automatic pilot all the time. Mm. You know, we do things mechanically, especially things that we're doing, you know, every day. And, and you know, of course, Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, famous for, you know, I can't remember his exact quote about, like, washing the dishes. Yeah, right. Of course. Right? Sure. Yeah. So, we can wash the dishes mechanically, like mm -hmm. not even thinking about what we're doing and, you know, suddenly the dishes are washed. Right. Or we can be fully present and fully experiencing everything, as every aspect of washing the dishes. Right. You he know? says washing the dishes isn't about getting them clean, which I love. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's major. Yeah. You know, that's really major because we then realize how much of our life we miss, you know? Yeah. And um, I'll never forget, uh, you know, those of you that have experienced an MBSR class, or it doesn't even come from an MBSR class, but the, the famous raisin eating exercise where, you know, you really attend to the experience of eating a raisin. And once in a class, somebody had this experience and actually started crying because she realized how much of her life she was missing mm. because she was just passing things by. Right. And then another person said, at some point when you're eating the raisin, at some point the raisin becomes part of this body, <laughs> right? So Absolutely. it's not separate. It yeah. becomes part of this body and then it leaves the body in some other form, you know? So there's all of that. And when we take that all in and really recognize what's happening, that really expands our perception in a, in a way that we hadn't realized. And this is, you know, this is practice. And this is practice within life. Yeah, it's one of the wonderful things about coming to practice, really, is how much you how much you see that you didn't see before. Yeah. And yeah. I think people don't, you know, um, if you haven't started practice, you don't realize uh, until you've, until you're in it, you don't realize uh, what you're missing. Yeah. yeah. Hope this has been helpful. Yeah. And one of the things we, we also love is a Speaking nice cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah a, a nice cup of coffee. It's, it yeah, helps to wake you up. Coffee is great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and speaking of coffee, I mean, as, yes, we would love you to buy us some coffee because you can do that on our website, digginthedrama.com, and it helps support this program and cover its costs. Mm -hmm. But, and I should say, one of the first things I do in the morning, and I suspect that may be this case for you as well, is I do have a cup of coffee. Right? Yeah, that's true. And... So, so there's the embodiment of making the coffee, right? Is the process and just the knowing, and the, and then there's the the feeling of waiting for the coffee to be to made, brew, yeah, <laughs> brewed. And then there's the pleasure of the cup, and the pleasure of the warmth, and the pleasure of the drinking. So all of this is, you know, an embodied practice. Yeah. And we can find ourselves getting caught up in the thoughts about it. Oh, the coffee wasn't as good today as it was yesterday or however. But then if we just come back to the drinking of the coffee, then this is really what we're talking about. It's like being fully present with the full experience of a cup of coffee. Yeah. So just imagine that when you buy us coffee, you are contributing to our practice of embodiment. <laughs> and uh, we really appreciate it. So... You're also helping to pay the oh that too the costs yes. yeah that yeah. does help and also you should say that there we have uh, an ability you can you can uh, become a member uh, yeah. which it has some perks including 
we will probably be, well, we'll certainly be doing another one of these uh, chats, ask me anything type chats with our members at some point yeah. in, in the near future. And uh, yeah, you can be a member of that and, and come and join us for. Yeah. And I think if you, if you if want on a certain level of membership, if you do it, you get up uh, uh, like meditation tune-up, I think there's something like that in the in the membership uh, benefits. Mm -hmm. So you know you get to meet you get to meet with me one on one, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So check it out. Check it out. I'm yeah. diggingthedharma.com. And uh, until next time, Doug. Thanks so much, John. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, you and, as well. Uh, we'll yeah. See you soon. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on your local podcast directory. It would help us out a lot. You can check John out at johnaaron.net and Doug at Doug's Dharma on YouTube and his Patreon page linked in the notes. You've been listening to Diggin' the Dharma with Doug Smith and John Aaron. Thank you.